Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books, everybody. This is the only podcast in recorded human history where two people talk about a thing they love, and that thing, in this case, is comic books. I'm one of your hosts, slash brother of the other host, slash kind of comedian, Kevin Hines. I'm the other co-host, kind of comedian, brother of the other co-host, Will Hines. Um... Now, Kevin, you said our introduction the exact way we always say it, because we say it the exact same way every time. Yeah, we never we never make a mistake. I want to point out something funny about the way that we say it this time, which is, of course, the way we always say it, is that the only podcast in human history where two people talk about something they like, which in this case is comic books, but it's the only case. It's true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Which in this though we, first, even though we've which in this first way. and only case. Yeah, there we go. Uh, it's comic books. Uh, we don't always say, I guess, a recorded human history, except we always say it the same way. But other than that, we don't always say that. Right. And we usually say brothers and not humans. Uh, we are doing our world famous, our our universally universally known mutants and mailbag episode today. Well, that's right. What what are what are those? Well, the first half of it, we go over some issues of Chris Claremont's run on Uncanny X Men. Because you and I had really never read it, which was a huge mm-hmm. gaping hole in our comics knowledge. And then the second half, we go over email that we've gotten. And what and was it, the first issue we covered of Uncanny X-Men? X-Men 94. So we Gi- have... Giant Size X-Men number one. Yeah. And then Uncanny and, X-Men 94. So we are almost 100 issues in? More yeah. with annuals and stuff, I suppose. We've definitely done 100 issues total. Uh, that's crazy. So uh, anecdote time. Okay. I'm going through my old boxes of uh, issues of comics to try to get rid of a bunch. And I found your old Uncanny X-Men comics. Oh, okay, great. And I know now at least the first issue you own. Okay, which one's that? Um, any guess? I'm, I think we're up to it. I, I think it's like 185 or something like that. Pretty close, 192. Oh, so 190. next episode, we're going to start covering issues that you... For sure, have read before, even if you don't remember them anymore. Oh wow! Uh, these three issues you did not have in the box. You had one other one that was older with Rogue on the cover, like one eighty something. Okay. Then there's a big gap, and then one ninety two is the first one, and then you have a long stretch. Oh, okay. Yeah. Basically, after like the hottest, most popular time of the X Men, I jump on. Then you're after like, that's finished. Now, yeah. Now I'm gonna pay yeah. attention. You narrowly avoided some of the most famous storylines in human in comic book history, <laughs> and then you jumped on for you know uh, you know whatever some warlock story or something. Yeah, two or three years. I think I was buying New Mutants first, and then I started buying X Men. I got in a weird way. Yeah, because I like uh, this anyway. in Kevin's art in the New Mutants. Anyway, yeah. All right, so that's interesting. Anyway, I thought I thought that was interesting to discover. Yeah. You also had a handful of classic X Men. Uh, maybe 15 issues of that. So you had read some of those as classic X-Men issues or bought them at least and, and bagged them. Uh, what is classic? Like pre That was X-Men? like the reprints of the, of I think it's Claremont run. I think it starts with giant size X-Men. Okay. Yeah. It's just reprints with like a few extra pages and maybe oh. a backup story. People keep telling us we should be reading that because it adds context. Okay. We, yeah. read, we, we wanted to read it as, you know, the people who were reading it as it came out. Right. We want to see the issues that we would have been reading back in the 80s. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like I was doing better than I remember in terms of trying to learn about the X Men. 
Yeah, I certainly didn't read those issues, though. The, there's an issue of with Power Pack that I bet I read just because Power Pack was on the cover <laughs> and I was a fan of them. And yeah. I, I certainly read The Fall of Mutants when that happened, but I definitely was not reading every issue of these X-Men. Um, and I think I was reading New Mutants on and off, too. Like, I would read a few issues and then sort of it's just a little too much for me at times. Yeah. The, the Sinkiewicz art. I would go back to it later and read some of those and love them. But yeah, at the time. Uh, it was a bit much. I remember I started reading New Mutants more when Louis Simonson was writing it. Okay. Um, again, after like peak New Mutants, probably. You jumped on New Mutants after it was uh, after yeah. after the the fervor died down. But then um, like didn't buy X Men until like twenty years later. I waited. <laughs> I really wanted to wait till that was cooled off. Um, Today we're going to go over issues one eighty nine, one ninety, and one ninety one. Right. I have one other non X Men anecdote. If you're interested, I am interested. Okay. So I have a son named uh, Cameron. I refuse to acknowledge or respond to this. And sometimes he likes to play pretend. Uh, okay. You've done this with him at times. Yes. And uh, uh, it's it's often him just telling you what to say and do. And then you do it. And then you do it, right. And so we were playing uh, the Sinister Six. We were playing the Sinister Six fighting Spider-Man. Okay. Um, but he likes to keep adding villains to the Sinister Six and changing their names. So they become the Sinister Eight, they become the Sinister Ten, they become the Sinister Twelve. Okay. And at a certain point, he had added so many members to this team. He goes, we're the Sinister Infinite. Okay. <laughs> Which is a, a nice shortcut for him not to have to keep counting. Uh, and honestly, I could see that working in comics. I can 100% see that like being some, some kind of crossover yeah. Sinister series. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we, I've been reading him the John Romita era of Spider-Man. And we had just gotten to the storyline with the new vulture. The so young like vulture. at some point, yeah. Uh, Adrian Toomes is dying and his cellmate bullies him to get the secret of the, <laughs> uh, the wings. Yeah. And gets the wings and becomes the new vulture, a new younger, stronger vulture with a weirder helmet. So both, both vultures had joined this sinister infinite. Okay. They were working together, but then Cameron also added the new, new vulture. And I was like, well, who is the new new vulture? And he says to me, oh, it's Dr. Bromwell. Does that Dr. name ring a bell at all? Dr. Bromwell. That was sort of my reaction. It sounded familiar, but I have yeah, no idea I who can't, he was talking about. I can't about. totally place it. Is it. I feel like it's like a Kurt Connors kind of thing. But I so, I ask, so I ask Cameron, like, who's Dr. Bromwell? And he goes, he's the doctor that takes care of Aunt May and Peter Parker. He's the doctor like they call when Aunt May is oh, sick. Oh, yeah. The guy Parker who comes over the with flu. the stethoscope. This young lady, any shock to her system would kill her. Lots of yeah. rest. Yeah, That's Dr. Bromwell. Well, in my son's mind, he has become the new, new vulture. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it. It was, I was I honestly could see that. that. He, I was That's stunned a... he remembered that character. Because <laughs> uh, I had no idea who he was talking about. He had to tell you, like, he was like, dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's the guy who takes care of Ant Man and Peter Parker. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. And it isn't crazy, as you were just about to say. It isn't crazy to imagine Stan Lee deciding, eh, he's a villain now. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's also very, even if it's not Stan Lee, modern comics writers love to mine those old Marvel comics for some like Kurt Busick, certainly will take someone who was like in half an issue and make yeah. like a three issue tear jerking epic out of it. Yeah. So when Dr. Bromwell starts flapping around in wings, you know, that was inspired by my son's pretend playing. Plus, when I see the 20 issue crossover event, Sinister Infinite, I'll know yeah. who, I'll know who's not getting paid, but who invented it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Cameron uh, he'll be in he'll be in good company with all the other creators who've been ripped off. Yeah. Uh, anyway, those are my two anecdotes for today. Uh, so as Will was saying, we're going to now talk about Uncanny X-Men 189, 190, 191. Written now, okay, by, before course, we get into that. Oh, oh boy. 
We're never going to get started. No. <laughs> um, what do you think of She-Hulk? How far have you watched? I've watched every episode that's out so far, which is three episodes as of our recording. Okay. I've and watched I, the pilot only. I love it. You love it. Okay. I love it. I'm uh, on board. There's been some mixed reactions online. I'm loving the tone of it. It's silly. It's light. It's also mm-hmm. 30 minutes. Uh, so I watch it during lunch. I don't have to like wait till nighttime when I can like really sit down and enjoy when like they're 40 minutes or more. Sometimes I, uh, I just can't watch them. So I've been watching these like during lunch while I work. Uh, like I take my lunch break and I watch them, but I just, I find them really fun. So okay. I'm a, I'm I've watched only board. the pilots and I'm going to watch the rest. I'm just curious how, how it's striking you. Uh, I, I found uh, the first one to be, I was a little, you know, how you've said sometimes before that your reaction of things, maybe you're just tired. Like when yeah. you read a particular, I was a little tired when I watched the pilot and I, and I was like, yeah, this is good. Ugh, do I have to keep watching this? But I, I think it's better than that. I mean, that certainly, I think, affected my watching of Sandman, though we mostly agreed on what we thought of that show. So I guess it didn't affect me too much. Yeah. I remember thinking that with Miss Marvel in those middle episodes. I was like, maybe I'm tired or maybe I just don't like these episodes. And I don't know which is true. Yeah. I really loved the first Miss Marvel episode. Uh, I will say the second and third episode, the second episode of She-Hulk is maybe my favorite second episode. This is a weird statement of a Disney Marvel show. Because I often okay. find the first episode's really fun, and then the second episode's kind of a letdown. Yeah, I've, that's true of Moon Knight, at least. Uh, it was true of Moon Knight. It's definitely true it might of, be true like, of WandaVision, uh, even. WandaVision was kind of more of the same in the second episode. Yeah, and I, I felt I definitely felt that was true of the um, uh, uh, Captain Falcon. America. Uh, Falcon, Falcon Winter Soldier. Falcon and Winter Soldier, rather, yeah. It might not have been true of Hawkeye. Hawkeye maybe got better, but I can't remember. Uh, Loki, maybe. I can't remember when that. Yeah, this that whole so one is pretty good. But yeah, uh, uh, I like watch the second episode. Not that it was like tremendously better, but to me, I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm I like laughed a few times. And I was sort of surprised by a show, any show that makes me laugh. I feel like I'm such a snob for comedy that sometimes I'm like, oh, that got me. Oh, yeah, you know? OK, that's um, OK. I'm glad to. That's that's our new segment. What's going on with our opinions of Disney Plus shows? <laughs> there you go uh i also watched the lord of the rings show which cost uh 80 billion and 80 million an episode i think is what they said to make it yeah was and it good it, it's beautiful i really love it some people hate it but i, I loved it uh, i think token fans really hate it because it's not canon it's not canon completely to the appendices that this storyline comes from <laughs> like, this storyline comes from return of the king appendices it is <laughs> Slim pickings for what they're doing for these stories, but I, I I like fantasy stories, and I didn't read those appendices, so I don't care. Uh, I don't care about Gladriel kicking ass. I'm on board, man. It looked great, but I can't believe how much they're spending on that show. Jeff Bezos just really wanted to make a Lord of the Rings show. Imagine being so rich, yeah, well, that you can just you imagine if we were like, just. I yeah. want this show. I want this show. Yeah, and I don't care what it costs. Just make it. Yeah, we're like. Give us the documentary in the life of Steve Ditko. We'll pay you $80 million an episode. <laughs> yeah. It, it, like he also like the expanse was a series, which is a show I liked as well, but it was like on sci-fi and sci-fi canceled it. I think he just liked that show. And so he said, Oh, let's keep making it. I don't think it was a big enough hit. Maybe it was, but I don't did think it was two that big seasons on Amazon prime, right? I think it did three seasons on Amazon prime. Hmm. And it was just, I think it was just more like for him. Somebody told me recently that the author of the books that The Expanse was built on uh, or based on book built on uh, was based on uh, that that author was George R.R. R. Martin's assistant for a while. 
I have not heard of that. It's two people. Uh. They have a pen name. The two people have one pen name for the book. Okay. So I, I don't know. Okay. Well, I can't verify it, and I'm not going to. Uh, but I heard Steve Ditko came up with The Expanse. Me too. I heard that Steve oh. Ditko planned and invented The Expanse and mm-hmm. science fiction. Jules <laughs> Verne and H.G. Wells got the idea from Steve Ditko. Yeah, yeah. Steve Ditko's like, here's a little throwaway idea. Yeah. Speculative, speculative future fiction. Yeah. Give it a shot, he said. Yeah. Make sure to ink your own work, he told them. <laughs> they were like, we don't draw. He's like, no he problem. He was out then. of the room already. He was already out of the room. Uh, all right. 189. Uncanny right. X-Men. So Uncanny X-Men, 189, 190, 191, written by Chris Claremont, of course, and drawn by John Romita Jr., the current artist on X-Men. Yeah, a little nobody who uh, will <laughs> end up doing very, very few issues of Marvel Comics in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Kevin. So this is this is a story of Rachel Summers and Amara somebody battling the evil <laughs> mutant Celine. Yes. Uh, it's mostly a one and done issue, although another story kind of begins here that takes over the next two. It's kind of like a little bit one and done, but then the loose ends become the whole thing next issue. Yeah. So what'd you think? I, uh, it's hard for me to, to uh, I read these maybe a week and a half ago now. It's hard for me to pull the three issues apart. I liked the three issues we read uh, uh, quite a bit, I think. I really love John Romita's art in these stories, and that carries I a lot too. of it. I do too. Um, I like this lineup of the X-Men. I like Rachel. I like uh, Rachel too. That's a good point. And I like Rogue now as kind of like a veteran member of the team. I just, I like this lineup a lot. So I'm sort of into that. My, uh, uh, the one thing that sort of knocks it a little bit is he's intertwining so much with new mutants. Yes. It just sort of feels like, oh, I'm missing half the story because Absolutely. I, I didn't put new mutants on my pull list. Like Amara shows up in here. I feel like she's never been mentioned. I don't think she's been mentioned. I went back and looked at the previous couple issues of X-Men because I was like, wait a minute. Did I skip an issue? No. Yeah. She wasn't mentioned. Um, Rachel Summers was featured heavily in issue 188, the issue before the one we're talking about here. Uh, yeah, that Kevin, I found that to be, I don't know, a huge pain. Like basically Claremont is just assuming that you are reading New Mutants. He's not helping you out at all. Yeah. It, with like a summary or anything. There's not even his like normal like dialogue just to throw out being like, hey, we became friends doing this battle. See New Mutants issue, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't even happen here. It doesn't even happen. Uh, Is that so just that... because the X-Books were so popular that it was like, yeah, you probably are reading the New Mutants if you're a Marvel Comics reader? It just feels weird, especially after reading this for 100 issues, as we said, of a to very self-contained lost. book. Like now we're branching out into this line. Like it is like the current X-Men. When you pick up an X-Men comic now, it's like, there's like thousands of X-Men and yeah. any one of them could show up for like a one-off issue. And they're just sort of like, oh yeah, Maggot's here. Maggot is a real X-Men. Okay. Uh, and it's like, okay, yeah, he's one of the X-Men. Of course he could show up. And it's, that's just sort of what happens now in the comics, but it has not really been true. And even like when Sunfire shows up, it feels like they remind you who he is. It before this. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Sunfire. They absolutely do. Um, but, I thought you uh, meant Sunspot. No. But when, uh, uh, nope, well, I did not mean Wolverine or Sunspot. Uh, but yeah, Magma shows up and she's just sort of like, we're supposed to just, ex- it's like another one of these like instant friendships. Like Rachel's not even from this timeline. How'd she become good friends with, I haven't, I don't have a friend as good as Rachel has. Yeah. And I was born in this timeline. And Amara's not from this timeline. Wait, she's not? Amara's from the past or something or no- Nova Romo or something. Oh, maybe that makes sense why they're friends. Um, 
Okay, well, so stepping back a little bit, taking the three issues in total and not separating out the first issue, this is like the X-Men versus a villain called Kulin Goth. Right, who they fought in like an annual? <clears throat> I barely remember, but I guess that's true. But yeah, I will say of the, this is like a, a trope that Claremont <laughs> goes to a lot where he likes to have the X-Men fight like fantasy Conan the Barbarian-ish villains right like he when they were in the savage land it sort of happened and in yeah. the annuals it happens a lot it happens a lot and i don't like most of those this is probably my favorite of those it still isn't as good as the other issues like i like the more science fiction non-brood ones yeah uh, than this uh, i'm of course a huge brood fan but other than that i agree with you um i well, basically what happens is cool and goth is i'm going to say this somewhat wrong i i read these three issues on a plane because I'm a jet setting superstar. Yeah, that's right. And your I private, got your you're on your private jet. My private jet that I just fly around. Mm -hmm. I'm like, people aren't taking global warming seriously. Let's ratchet it up a notch. And I take my private jet in the air and I just try to use up some more uh oxygen. So these three issues, I read them a little fast, honestly, not too fast. And I did like jump back issues to see if I'd missed stuff. But it was a little hard just to keep track of what was going on because not only is he, he, not only does Claremont not update you on what's going on in New X Men, there's just big leaps. Yeah. But in within the story itself, where you kind of have to figure out what happens, there's a lot of happening off camera stuff. Yeah. Less so this issue, but issue 190, I thought, oh, this story must have started in New Mutants. Yes, exactly. And I went online and checked, and it did not. It did not. Yeah. So Cool and Goth is some sort of like magic being mm -hmm. who casts a spell on manhattan that turns it into conan the barbarian time in a weird way like nobody in nobody within manhattan who's within the affected area of the spell even remembers that they actually are modern times they think they've always been conan o'brien and everybody has conan, become conan the barbarian conan the barbarian <laughs> Much better they issue. Thought, they, they always thought they were Conan O'Brien. They always thought they were future late member. night host. Yeah, somebody's triumph. You know, somebody's going in the year two thousand all the time. Yeah. Lots of in the audience gigs. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe I said that. Uh, so they oh, all think they're Conan the Barbarian times, and they've all be everyone's become like an ana analog of the like. If if you were a taxi driver before, now you're like pulling a cart and yeah. horses kind of. Except thing. for Spider Man is unaffected because of some Marvel team up story. That Claremont wrote. That yeah, I gotta say, I really dislike this about Chris Claremont, where he, yeah. I think it's egotistical. He just kind of assumes that you have total recall, not just of the X Men, but of anything he's written. Yeah, and if it's, it's Iron Fist or if it's New Mutants, New Mutants makes a little more sense. Yeah, it makes a little sense that he's like, you should have been reading, you should be reading New Mutants, and if you're not, that's your fault. But it's like you should have also read my Marvel team up run. Yeah. The or even, or even annual Spider-Man comics that were some years ago. Yeah. I, it, it's not good. I I, yeah. I also on the plane I had this long plane ride because I'm a jet sitting superstar. I yeah, reread yeah, yeah. like most you of and the, Snoop Dogg. Me and Snoop Dogg were hanging out, and I'm like, "What's your secret to happiness?" He's like, "Yo, you gotta go for walks." I'm like, "Great, <laughs> I'll do it." Um, yeah, Snoop Dogg's mostly known for his walks. Yeah, that's his primary thing is walk advocate. Way yeah. down on the list for Snoop's uh, attributes is rap star. But um, <laughs> uh, I also read a lot of the Frank Miller Daredevils, which there aren't that many. He did it for like two years and then took a little break, came back and did Born Again. And 
Frank Miller does a way better job of just catching you up of what's going on. Like you're just not lost issue to issue. Well, it's also, I don't think, I feel like Claremont was doing a better job in earlier issues when it was, when he just had Uncanny X-Men. Yeah. So yeah, somewhere along the line, there'd be a thought balloon that would catch you up or something. Yeah. Or like two panels of just reminding you what happened even a couple issues ago. He does a really bad job here. And so I was kind of lost and I've kind of left. I mean, I've been, you know, you eventually figure out what's going on, but I, I, you know, I, I said at the end of our last episode, I kind of half enjoyed these and that's true. I really love the art. There are some fun sequences, but I was kind of like, I don't know, man, do a little bit more work to just to leave me to include me, the reader and what your yeah. little like story is. I, I, I don't like, know what's going on. I like these a lot. I just think, I was carried a lot by John Romita. I think his art is great. It really I, I tells totally us agree. you could you could remove the dialogue and this story still mostly makes the same amount of sense. Yes. Uh, his action sequences, I think, are second to only Steve Ditko. Ooh, I really do think that. I really think high I like, praise. I think Steve Ditko writes great action sequences. I think John Byrne also writes great. I was going to say, sequences. I think Byrne is also really um, good at those. And I think Romita is... Uh, uh, I guess maybe I'm more thinking about Spider-Man. Like Ramita is probably my second favorite Spider-Man action sequence artist after Ditko. And it's a, and it's an easy, it's an, it's in a walk. He gets there. Burn is right up there too. If Burn had a Spider-Man run. Maybe I think the same thing about him, but um, it's just like, Oh, that they're inventive. They're cool. I can follow them. They add to the story in addition to just being like good guy beats up bad guy or whatever. Yeah, it, is, it isn't like, uh, I, I'm also reading these early Ramita issues and Ramita's a beautiful artist, but his action sequences often just feel like two guys on a rooftop swinging fists. I mean, yeah, some of the last few Ditko issues are also that uh, in, yeah. in, in, in Ramita's defense. So it's like it definitely happened. Marvel was a factory churning out stuff. But, um, but Ramita Jr. just really does a good job of just like, oh, these are exciting to look at. Even if I don't care about the action sequences, these are fun to read. They were, yeah, they, they were pretty fun to read. Uh, the art's a huge part of it. You know, we we got a lot of female characters at the fore, uh, which is fun. You know, there's a lot of Storm, a lot of Rachel Summers, a lot of Amara. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of X-Men binding together to save each other. And, you know, they put their lives on the line. That's fun. Um, I I don't mind big long speech balloons and captions. I like the purple prose of Chris Claremont. I I I think that's fun and energizing. But I don't know, man. I was turned off by the plot in this one. I was just like, I don't find you as automatically interesting as you think I should, Claremont. I don't know, man. I turned on him a little bit this issue. This issue. I I'm I, I'm sure he'll win me back, but I was a little fed up. Yeah, I mean, I, I had all the same complaints, but I think it just. It summed it, it up to me hit you still enjoying. I still most. Enjoy I, I I actually can totally see that. I uh, largely did not like all the other fantasy stories we've read. I think if people go back and listen to those episodes, those I, annuals mostly, I largely was be like bored of those. Yeah. This one I wasn't bored of. I was just sort of like did you I was feel, confused. Did you feel that way about the one where it's Kitty's, the story that Kitty is telling Ilana and yeah, mostly I only enjoyed the, the framing sequence. Okay, yeah. Of that, like the the the, the, the her telling the story, the X Men in. sort of listening in. That part I love. The story itself, I sort of like. Oh, I don't care. Okay. And and I also loved the the Nightcrawler miniseries set in that world that you had bought that I've read. 
Yeah. So I like I was sort of kind of won over by that world, but I like that issue didn't do it for me. Okay, that's interesting. So um, in this one, I lost a little track of what's going on. Like if I was going to attempt to summarize it, and I'm sure I'll get this somewhat wrong. I mean, but, I can't tell you either. But like Kulan Goth has cast the spell over Manhattan. So everybody in there is in Conan O'Brien time. I know it's Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> I'm just enjoying saying Conan O'Brien now. Yeah. They all think they're yeah. Wolverine. No, no yeah. one thinks they're Wolverine. Kulan Goth but, has replaced Letterman as the host of Late Night. <laughs> yep. Everyone's Conan O'Brien. Uh, so, so there's like several, so there's the, some Avengers characters and there's X-Men characters. And so there are, uh, throughout the store. And then there's also Celine, the evil mutant who is trying to work with cool and goth and maybe take over cool and goth's role. She's also part of the hellfire club now. And the issue is sort of, and she's working for the hellfire club. So there's a lot of different allegiances to keep track of because, you got the Avengers and the X-Men. The Avengers are not quite sure whether to trust the X-Men. The X-Men are not quite sure whether to trust the Avengers. Then you've got people who are aware that there is a spell and people who are not aware. Like at first, only Spider-Man knows this is a spell. But then over the course of the issue, some people start to remember, like Storm remembers. Um, some other people start to realize, oh, we're under a delusion that we're in ancient times. Then within the delusion, Kulan Goth sometimes assumes control of some people and they become his like warriors. Mm -hmm. So like Colossus is possessed and is fighting the other X-Men. Some of the Avengers are possessed, but I lose track of which ones those are. And also some of the people just in this world are good or evil are seemingly arbitrarily. Yeah. Even some of them just work for cool and goth when they're not possessed or like in his guard or whatever, like the new mutants, I think are largely, were they evil? No, they're good. Some of the X-Men are evil, I think. Some of though. the X-Men are evil. Yeah, and some of the Avengers are evil. It, and it, these it, two it issues. Like a Secret Wars thing where we're reading two issues of like a 12-issue series. These two issues did not feel like an X-Men book. I at agree all. with that. Uh, it, it felt more like a New Mutants book, even though they weren't that main a part of it. But like this big shots of like Cannonball and Magic and Amara. Uh, if you focused a little more on Spider-Man, he's probably the most interesting character in these two issues. He doesn't get that much focus, but the one guy who is not affected. Yeah. That he, is that he, he should be the star of these two books. There was some like at the end of issue 190, Captain America, who was not under the spell of Celine, but he is under the delusion that it's in Conan yeah. Barbarian times. He gets to the non-possessed people together, and they decide they're going after Cool and Goth. And he cries, "Avengers assemble!" And it's like that's—I I dig it. Like that's yeah. an exciting moment. And Storm has a big moment where, like, she escapes with yes. Callisto, and then they come back in when they're like, they forget that they were ever modern, but they do remember that Cool and Goth is bad, and they need to take him down. Yeah, the, I like that little moment and the temporary alliance. Oh yeah, then there's the Morlocks too, right? So. The temporary alliance between Callisto and Storm. That's pretty fun, kind but like, of. But Warlock has a big moment in this. Like, I yeah, like this, the Warlock. This, there's there's moments I like. This is a crossover before the X-Men really did crossovers. I mean, it's all an uncanny X-Men, but it does feel like this is a proto-New Mutant, follow the mutants type thing. There's a weird thing where... Um, and it does just X... feel like we're missing stories and miss like we're missing issues, which we were not. We're not. It, there's also the thing that Professor X has been melded with Caliban into one creature somehow. Yeah. And so there's Caliban's 
weird tracking tracking ability amplified by Professor X, but Professor X is resisting the the orders of Kulan Goth, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I lost track of it, and like, I got kind of annoyed. I'm sitting there on the plane. I'm like, I can't wait to get back to my Frank Miller Daredevils, where it's just only going to be six characters, not thirty. I, I yeah. basically. Claire, I, I hear everything you're at, saying. Claremont is good at moments, and he's bad at plot. And I know that plot is somehow a bad word when we talk about comics. It's like, hey, it's not plot, it's character. I was like, could it be both? How about both? Uh, all right, what were you going to say? Well, you hear what I think I'm that's saying? just everything you're saying is like, feels like you're talking about the brood to me, where it's like, oh, I just don't care about this. I can't follow any of this. It doesn't really make sense to me anymore. Yeah. But that also went on for 12 issues. <laughs> yeah. Like a two issue thing drawn beautifully by John Romita. I can almost swallow anything. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, true. It's over fast. It was breezy. And I I read the next three issues after this and it's like, and it's over. That This does not continue into those issues. And it's nice. Yeah. Uh, in that sense, it's like a fun little blip. Again, if I read this over two months, I probably wouldn't have been looking forward to that second part um, if I was yeah. buying this month to month for sure. But I just t- I tend to not like these fantasy stories in general. Uh, but being able to read these three in a row made it easier for me to I, I hear what you're saying. Enjoy them. I, you know, I, I also enjoy we kind of skipped by that first issue of this three issue batch. But like seeing the glimpses of Rogue as the hound was really fun. Uh, Rachel Summers. as the Rachel. Person. Sorry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Rachel's. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that was, was cool. Really cool. The the flash forward to her use as the mutant hunter that she was being forced to do against her wishes was sort yeah. of like disquieting, but in a weirdly exciting way to see. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, you know, I wonder because you pointed out here at the beginning of this episode that you found that I started buying X Men issues starting with one ninety two, which is the next issue. That, you know, the one we're going right. to cover next episode. I wonder, because I think I was reading New Mutants because of Bill Sienkiewicz's art, and I wonder if the stories were intertwined on the New Mutant side, and so I was like, I guess I got to get the X-Men to find out what's going on. And I, so, you know, here I am complaining about what Chris Claremont is doing, but maybe it worked, and it yeah, like, I mean, kind of, like, extended the, the massive readership of the X-Men over to the New Mutants, and maybe he doubled his readership over to two titles effectively. I mean... It is for sure. We'll talk about this next episode because we're going to do another Mutants and Mailbags. But the next issue deals with Magus, which is Warlock's dad, which feels very weird to deal with in not the New Mutants. And it was a big part of the New Mutants. And I love the Warlock stories in New Mutants. Like, yeah. those stayed with me a lot. But it feels very weird. It'd be like saying, like, oh, the next part of the Norman Osborn saga will be in Fantastic Four, number 30. Exactly. What? No, yeah. why? It shouldn't be in there. It should yeah, be in a I... Spider-Man comic. Right, right. Um, so uh, I don't know. I know he's friends with the Fantastic Four. It just doesn't make sense to do a big step of that story. That's a Spider-Man story. Well, I know yeah. we got we got a lot of mutant heads who listen to this podcast. So email me and tell me what you thought of these issues. Screw it comics at gmail and tell me why I'm wrong and why I should love these. I, I really I really would be interested in the discussion. And uh, I still appreciate lots of good stuff about the X-Men, by the way. And I'm excited I, to keep reading. But I'm also like right now of the mind that um this Ramita art might be my favorite era like this might be even though i hadn't read this until now like this is like the perfect melding of his like current sort of more stylistically unique art and his like kind of original sort of house style house style more like his dad's art like this is somewhere in between and i really love where he's at right here so like just a little unique but still kind of got that classic look buried in it and it's uh, it's really beautiful 
I'm going to keep an eye on it. I like that. I like that. Uh, I'll, I'll be watching for that. Um, you want to take a break? Yeah, let's take a break and then do some mail. Let's do it. Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, We might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks. In advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we are back. Uh, now, Kevin and I have been transported into Cone of the Barbarian era. So we are now doing this podcast on scrolls, uh, which is the way everyone does it in this era. We, we still call it podcasting. We still call it podcasting. We put it, we, we write down our thoughts on scrolls. The mm-hmm. scrolls are about a uh, uh, one to two uh, furlongs length in length, and um, we distribute them via squires to uh, yeah. all of the serfs in Please our Please rate and review versus whatever squire you prefer to get your scrolls from. Yeah, rate and review the squire. Uh, whatever whatever squire you normally get your podcast from will be the one you can get uh, these podcast scrolls from. And we're also wearing leather bikinis, and we're part of the Hellfire Club. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, all right, so we're doing mail. If you want to send us mail, like I said at the end of the first half, you can email us at screwitcomics at gmail. You can also contact us on Twitter, screwitcomics, or Instagram, screwitcomics. And I once again, listeners, want to emphatically ask you to follow our Instagram account. It's a great account. Kevin does a terrific job of selecting uh, what we're talking about, and I think it's a great sort of annotation to our podcast. If you want to see the things we're talking about and you don't want to dig up the issues yourselves, that that Instagram does a pretty good job of keeping you caught up. All right, Kevin, what do we got in the old mailbag? So first, we're going to start with some um, answers to the mystery of our Jimmy Linguini reviews. Right. So Kevin revealed last episode that there was a, a negative review, three stars really, not as bad as it could be, of our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And the contents of the review was clear that they were talking about another podcast. It was like, here's a fun drinking game. Every time Jimmy Linguini says, I don't know, drink. Every time he says he works for CBS. Every time the hosts grind to a halt when they look up something on their smartphones, three stars. And it really made us laugh. And we've joked about it before this podcast. And then a bunch of our actual listeners have left us reviews referring to us as Jimmy Linguini, mentioning how much we mentioned CBS. Some sort of weird, a lot of them are weird mixes of our real podcast and this fictional Jimmy Linguini podcast. Yeah. So we we, we were wondering what the real podcast was because I couldn't find it, but we have solved that mystery. Right. And so the first person who thought they had it solved uh, tweeted at us. Uh, Carlos Aguilar uh, tweeted at us. He goes, I think the original Jimmy Linguini review is a bit from a Paul F. Tompkins podcast. Maybe Spontanation? Sponti, I can't. Uh, spontane- Spontanation? Yeah. Uh, if I remember correctly, in one episode, he told people to review other podcasts with this exact wording. But then Paul F. Tompkins responded to that saying he had no memory of this. Yes. Didn't out, out and out deny it. But just didn't think so. He said he had some memory of like telling people how to do reviews of his own podcast. But he's sort of like, I don't think I would have told people to review other people's podcasts. And right. Paul Tompkins is one of the nicest people in comedy. And I do think his instincts would be like, eh, let's not bother messing with other people's stuff. Sure. 
And and Carlos said he only thinks he wasn't sure. He anyway. wasn't sure. And and Paula was like, and I have and Jimmy Linguini's not ringing any bells. And I do think Paul Tompkins would remember if that had been the joke he told people to make. So that kind of discounted that theory. Right. And then we got an email from Ben Sanborn, who says, hey, uh, uh, brothers, Milksop. I have not seen the Sandman series on Netflix yet, but after your review, I will binge it this weekend. That's referring to our recent Sandman review. Yes. But then he goes on to say, as far as the Jimmy Linguini podcast mystery, <laughs> I believe the source comes from a podcast named Unpressable Defects, a comic book speculation podcast that appears to have ended in October of 2019 with a host by the name of Jimmy Linguini. And it's he gives us a it. Facebook page. Uh, speaking uh, uh uh, so you've now downloaded that. You're going to listen to that. And I'm going to listen if... to it. it. It's got it's got to be it. But now I'm curious. I hope that the episode I li- downloaded, he mentions CBS. I hope there's a lot of I don't know. Mm, or ah. Uh. And now I know you don't drink, but are you going to do the drinking game? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to I haven't had a drink in 10 years, but I'm going to break it to play the Jimmy Linguini drinking game. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, on top of that, Ben S has created a drinking game for our podcast. OK, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I have an idea for a drinking game that you guys might like to add to the show. Okay. Every time Will calls a non-Wolverine character Wolverine, <laughs> or, or certain characters are incorrectly accredited to Steve Ditko. Incorrectly? Uh, 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 that part makes no sense to me. Uh, unknown to our listeners, maybe. Maybe un- still correctly. undocumented. <laughs> non-provable. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Seemingly ridiculous and unable to be documented. Sure. Yeah. Says Ben Sandboard, a creation of Steve Ditko. It's weird that he would say this. Yeah, Ben himself was created by Steve Ditko. I remember paying for the Kickstarter to get Ben Sandborn published. <laughs> he, but he says, anytime those things happen, we would, we both, you and me, as well as our listeners, will take a shot of the Hulk Smash drink. Okay. One ounce Midori, a quarter ounce sweet and sour mix, a quarter ounce lemon juice, ice, shake in a cocktail shaker, and strain into a shot glass. Is there no alcohol in that? I don't know. I don't drink up. enough to know. It's in a cocktail shaker. It'll absorb some ambient alcohol no matter what. One of us should be one of us should be a lush. Uh Maduri is a liqueur. Great. But if anyone else has other drinking games based on our podcast, I'd I'd be interested to hear them. Yeah, let's hear some drinking games. How about how about every time we struggle to cast a movie and we pick <laughs> only actors from the nineteen eighties? And thank you, Ben, for solving that mystery. Uh, and Will, let us know what the, how that podcast is. Okay. We also got an Instagram message from friend of the show, Casey Bruce, mm-hmm. um, of um, owner Olymp- of the the Danger Room uh, Comics in Olympia, Washington. Uh, and he wrote us. Uh, he wrote us this a while ago, but I forgot about it because it was on Instagram. Just finished and thoroughly enjoyed your uh, music season. I meant to write when the series was first announced, but I'm still in the process of learning that having a baby at home makes it harder to find the time to do essential things like writing to podcasts. Yeah, I won't yeah. acknowledge his ch- children either. I I have a child, and I wrote to podcast nonstop when he was born. Step up, Casey. He's got two Busick-related questions. One is, he, t- he talks about the Untold Tales Annual, with art by Allred and Sinnott, is one of my most frequently purchased comics. When I reorganized my collection a few years ago, I was surprised to find four copies of it. I believe what happened is because I missed it when it first came out, the frustration over that and the desire to have it remained more powerful than the memory of picking it up several times. <laughs> Wondering if you guys have comics that that has happened with. I remember he's a big Mike Allred fan and he did yes. an interview of Mike Allred. So uh, that yeah. makes sense. And he when he that. was on our podcast, he talked about a Mike Allred issue of The Sandman. Yeah, the Prez issue. I, I have done this. I've done it with issues of Love and Rockets. Uh, sometimes I do it on purpose, though, because if it's a comic I like a lot, I'll weirdly want the different packagings of it. 
mm-hmm. either because of some supplemental material or I'll just it'll be easier to read. Like I had the individual individual issues of Love and Rockets, so then I would get the trade, but then they would do better organized trades later. There's certain collections I've done that for. I'm trying to think if I've ever rebought an issue of something. I've, I bought the Dark Knight Returns and I had an, a copy of it already. And then I just gave away my new one, kept the old one. Uh, but not issues. You're talking about trades there. Trades still, yeah, it's trades, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I there was a couple times where I was going to a bad comic shop and um, they would sometimes forget comics. Like bad attitude? No, like bad, like they didn't always put the comics in my poll list. And then I would sometimes forget whether I like was filling a hole that I shouldn't have had or whether I had that issue and sometimes I would get confused. And so I would occasionally bought a second copy of something, but I don't know if I've ever bought four of anything. And that was only a brief period. I stopped going to that comic book shop. I don't think that happens too much for me. So no, Casey, it's just you. But definitely I do the same thing you do. I there's I just bought the Metro book collection of Astro City, even though I have all those trades. Yeah. I am excited to get the future Metro books that are have trades that I have issues that I've not gotten collected. But I was yeah. like, oh, I had these already collected. I don't need this volume. And I bought it anyway. Yeah. Happily. Yeah, I've done that. But uh, we're not uh, as dumb as Casey otherwise. Yeah. His second question. I can't remember exactly where this occurs in Astro City, though I think it's in the family album trade paperback. But there's a villain with multiple man type powers. Multiple man can become uh, multiple copies of himself. Well, yes. Uh, who shows up for only a few pages called Los Hermanos. Wondering if you, Will in particular, notice that he's modeled after the younger member of a certain famous Fantagraphics published Mexican-American comic book artist duo. Hint, these guys are also brothers who presumably talk about <laughs> comic books. Uh, yeah, Los Bros Hernandez. I'm assuming that this guy looks like Jaime Hernandez. Yeah. Um, uh, that's super cool. I don't remember that, but I'm sure that I would have noticed that at the time. Like, I've, Yeah, I'm sure I no would way not I missed have that. noticed. I'm sure I did miss that, um, uh. but I... I'm embarrassed to admit that. Anyway, thanks for the email, Casey. I uh, hope your child is doing well, and I hope you start writing to more podcasts. Jeez. Yeah, stop blaming your kid for your laziness about podcast writing. I have a Danger Room t-shirt he sent me, and I, I wear it frequently. I wear mine a lot, too. I recommend having people on your podcast who then send you free shirts. That's what everyone should do. Uh, I'm just going to start here and start reading, and we'll stop when we're out of time. Well, ready? Ready. This is an email from Chuck. Hey, Heinzes. His subject is God loves milk sops. <laughs> That's a good subject. <laughs> the milk itself sops? <laughs> guess so. I guess so. All right. It seems uh, fantastical, but I like, I like I'd it. Buy that. I'd buy that original graphic <laughs> novel. Probably too many new mutants in it, but I'd still love it. Uh, while the Thunderbolts definitely take the cake for strongest introduction and have stood the test of time as a team of mostly heroic wackos, a lot of Marvel groups end up facing Fading away once the creator championing them moves on, uh, like with Dan Slott's reboot of the Great Lakes Avengers. What are your favorite teams that have fallen out of the spotlight? Love the show. Love Shortboxed. We'll literally enter any raffle. Thank you, Chuck, for entering those raffles. I hope you. Yeah, we got to get another uh, one going. Maybe maybe you won. Who knows? Who knows? We have no idea. Let's see. Kevin's going to know more than me. Well, I, you know, I like Justice League Europe. I like that back in the time. And I feel like that is no longer a thing. Mm-hmm. I, I know there's still a Justice League. What else? I wasn't too big a fan of the West Coast Avengers, so I don't really care that that has vanished. Well, I mean, I like Power Pack. Does this count? Uh, and I feel like Power Pack did diminish after the original creators kind of stepped away. But Power Pack has its fans. Like Power Pack has, it's it's still a favorite of a lot of people. You know, I, I feel like it hasn't totally been 
erased. Power Pack was the first thing that jumped to my mind, too, just because it sort of feels like it did last a while after they left, but it just feels like they'll never be back in the same way. They felt like such a weirdly important part of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. For a team of heroes that, like, didn't really get involved with big villains. Like, they weren't going out and fighting Doctor Doom. Yeah. But they were, like, friends with Beta Ray Bill and Wolverine, so they still felt, like, pretty important. I mean, what? Um, I mean, it's been, there's a power Now they're just sort of, yeah, a great podcast. Um, And uh, they definitely have had minis, and they've come back here and there. Uh, They just had a recent one by Ryan North that was great. But it just feels like they're never going to have another ongoing, and it, that sort of is a bummer. If I had to guess of what was unique about them at the time, and we read them at the time they came out, is that they were in contrast to the Frank Miller slash Alan Mooreization of comics. Like, while comics were getting grittier and kind of more pulp fiction-y, Power Pack, because they were kids, was, even though dark stuff went down in those comics, it still was kind of sweet in a way and innocent mm-hmm. and hopeful. Uh, at a time when comics were getting more cynical. And even just Franklin Richards in that book made me love Franklin Richards. I think of Franklin as a member of Power Pack, not the Fantastic Four. Yeah, me too. But also comparing them to um, other child superheroes, like the youngest of whom is Robin, who was maybe 13 or 14 at his absolute youngest. Yeah. They had a kindergartner. Yeah, they had a kindergartner. They had a six-year-old on that team. Yeah. that there's, There's no... Six-year-old superheroes, uh, which now when I think about it, I think I think I've mentioned this podcast. Now that I have a six-year-old, yes. terrifies me. The idea of my son fighting crime while I'm sleeping honestly makes me nervous. It he's going out the, there fighting Doctor Bromwell. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that it was four brothers and sisters, though, like yeah, the, the Alex, the oldest, wasn't he like fourteen? Yeah, that's still. He he was the oldest was Robin, but like brothers and we brothers and sisters do take care of each other. There's something that at least that helped you suspend the disbelief when you were reading it. Yes, for sure. But now I think about it, I'm like, when I was 12, maybe I could have handled one younger sibling, but it was like him, his 10 year old sister, their eight year old brother, and their six year old sister. Uh, That's a lot. Do you know Power Pack reminds me of that? And I'm only just thinking of this now is the Narnia books because it's brothers and sisters who go into another world without their parents. And they're way over their head. Yeah. But they do end up taking care of each other. And when I was a kid reading Narnia, like that made me feel safe. I was like, well, Peter and Mary oh. will take care of Edmund and Lucy or whatever. I just sort of feel like, like if I, I was out there with my older brother, I'd be like, there's no way this guy has it together to take care of. Well, me, me. too. I'm just sort of like if I was out, you know, an older brother would normally kill their younger brother for food. So it's hard sure, for me sure. to imagine that they're actually caring about it. Uh, uh, a weird one that jumps to mind since we we're just talking about Busick. It's probably why it's on my mind is he did a DC series called The Power Company. Kind of maybe the closest to working version of like a corporate superhero team. Okay, yeah. Uh, which is a, an idea that happens every now and then. It's like, we work for corporations. Can we still be heroes while we're doing that? And it didn't quite work, but it was it was Kurt and I wanted it to go longer because I feel like it would have. And like that is now gone. It'll yeah. never come back. And that's sort of a bummer. The What was the future team in Superboy's world? Like with Matter Eater Land, the Legion of the Super Legion Heroes. of Superheroes, they were kind of fun. Did they stick around? Yeah, I mean they were one of the most successful superhero teams of their time. I think. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I'm glad <laughs> they worked out. <laughs> they come back frequently. I don't think they've been a big hit in a long time, but like under Shooter and Keith Giffen, they were a huge, huge, huge. They went to like issue 200 before. Oh, they... really? Well, I'm glad yeah, they yeah. had a little run. That's nice. Though there was a brief period where Superboy, the new Superboy, because. Uh, that was like Superboy was a part of that Legion team and he was Superman as a, as a, uh, but then later on there was a Superboy. He was like a clone of Superman okay. became the new Superboy in comics. And he joined a team called the Ravers, which is very, named very much of its era. 
Yeah. Uh, but they were like a party group that sort of teleported from planet to planet, getting into trouble. <laughs> and that was his sort of Legion of Superheroes. And I genuinely dug that team. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was like, there's something really fun about this sort of like leather jacket clone Superboy being on a ravers team instead of like a team of heroes. It was like very fitting to his character. I think it was very unsuccessful. But How I about a Rick Jones ham radio friends, his like little network of ham oh, radio yeah, operators yeah, who like helped the names. for a couple issues. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone misses them. I don't think only their creators made that work. I don't think okay. anyone made that work. This is Will Hines jumping in with a lousy microphone after we recorded just to say here that Rick Jones' ham radio operator group was called the Teen Brigade. Okay, back to the episode. I think we've answered that pretty well. Decently. Yeah, we're all right. As good as we ever do. Yeah. I don't know why people write us. We can't answer anything. I know. This is an email from Micah, whose podcast we've been on, Will. Uh, yes, we the talked Micah, about we're, we're the, part uh, of the Batman Micah-verse. movies. Uh, uh, hello, Kevin and Will. It's Micah writing to hopefully receive a no prize from the Heinz brothers. Okay. I know that I didn't discover and fix an error, but I think this may still qualify. I mean, he's okay. already disqualified himself, but, uh, disqualified himself, I feel like. But uh, he wrote this on July 27th. Amazing Spider-Man 900 has just hit the shelves. I headed down to my local comic book store and bought it. I have now read every single issue of The Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. That seems like a call out to The Amazing Spider Talk. Yes. It was a fantastic experience, and I would say that most of the time I really enjoyed myself. It was a real tough time getting through the Clone Saga run and Nick Spencer's recent 76-issue run. But other than that, I would say that for the most part, I enjoyed myself. My highlights are, of course, the original Stan and Steve issues. Master Planner Saga takes the cake, as we all know. I love the entire slot run. Special attention to 600, where Dr. Octopus is discovering how he has all these concussions and brain damage from fighting Spider-Man. 801 (laughs) with Uncle... Uh, Uncle ben. Ken. He wrote Uncle Ken. I think he meant Uncle. Oh, yeah. Uncle Ken. Yeah. The uncle story. The okay. issue where JJJ Sr. is stuck on the subway underground. Uh, Good day. And Superior Spider-Man. And the new run is definitely scratching the itch. All this is to say that Spidey is the best. And here's the 900 more. Uh, I don't know what he's uh, uh, receiving a no prize for, but... Uh... <laughs> We'll give it to him. We, we don't have any you standards. You can't to him on that. <laughs> I'll give a no prize to anybody who asks. Any suggestion of other Marvel runs that you've loved of any character, uh, uh, any suggestions of other Marvel runs you've loved of any character you haven't covered on the show yet? Might I also suggest coverage for Walt Simonson's Thor? I know you've done the Frog Thor, but dang, that run is good. We have talked about doing more of well, Simonson Thor. I'll say that right off the it's bat. It's an incredible run. I, I read it only just a couple of years ago, and I enjoyed it so, so much. Uh, Marvel runs, Will Hines. Well, I'm really more of an artist writer sort of follower than I am like a mm-hmm. character follower, except for Spidey and sort of the FF, but I haven't even read a ton of FF. I mean, I haven't read all of Spider-Man. I'm not somebody who's read every issue of Amazing. Yeah, but you have read a significant, you've read over several different creative teams, huge swaths yeah. of it. I probably read like 80%, which is a lot. Certainly nothing that we haven't covered. We've covered our primary go-tos mm-hmm. of the ones that we most frequently hit. Um, well, we haven't covered Swamp Thing, and I did like the right. Bernie Wright. He said Marvel. Issues. He says he says Marvel runs, but let's. I, I think I'll allow it. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Do I get a no prize? No, you don't. <laughs> okay. You didn't ask for one <laughs> preemptively. You didn't preemptively ask for one before not doing anything to earn it. <laughs> uh, well, I think Swamp Thing is a rewarding read, and you know the Alan Moore run is the most famous. But I also the guy who followed him was good. Rick Vetch. Rick Vetch was really good, and. Um, 
the original Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson issues are really fun. I've never really read a Swamp, Swamp Thing issue I didn't like somewhat, actually. So that might be a guess. Uh, Marvel Cloak and Dagger was a favorite of mine in the 80s, and I did read a lot of Cloak and Dagger, and I feel like they have maybe fallen out of attention. So I'll, I'll say Cloak and Dagger for Marvel. That's better. That's mostly because I haven't read a ton. Kevin? Yeah, uh, uh, characters that we haven't covered, I think, uh, eliminates most of the ones. I, the Hulk would jump to my mind as a great long run where I feel like even the Hulk smash era uh, had was pretty consistently fun for lots of it. I think there were some dry spells, but you know, you start off with some Ditko stories, you get some Kirby stories after that, you know, uh, Roger Stern does a run of that, you know, uh, then they do like the crossroads there with Bill Mantlo before you get to John Burns brief run and then Peter David's mammoth run. And then it feels like every other run of the Hulk after that is great. Not just good, but great. I, I think reading all the Incredible Hulk, there'd be some dry spells. But again, I haven't read all of Amazing Spider-Man. So I think I think there are more dry spells than Micah does that I struggle through. So yeah, I, I, I think the Hulk would jump to mind. But something we haven't covered, Wally West era Flash probably jumps to mind. If, you're, if we can drop out of Marvel. Which we can, as I just brazenly yeah, since waited you did it already. DC. Yeah. Um, starting with Mike. Barron's brief run, William Messner Loeb's run, which I think is great. Mark Wade's run, which everybody loves. Jeff Johns's run is really good. So there's some great uh, Wally West Flash runs before Barry Allen comes back and sort of puts an end to that. It's, it's again, blurring the lines and it's more Alan Moore, but Miracle Man is a really fun read. And that's Alan Moore and mm-hmm. Neil Gaiman did a little run. Yeah. I mean, I really loved... Um, Captain Britain, that's a very brief run. That's Alan Moore again. But then also Alan Davis solo uh, wrote Andrew it for a little while. Um, and I love both those runs. Yeah. I didn't, I've never read the Chris Claremont written run that preceded that. But, but you know, Chris Claremont, he doesn't have the pedigree. Yeah. Well, wait till he gets some credits that are worth, uh, that somebody would respect. Anyway, uh, Micah got a, a no prize for that. For I doing guess. nothing. For doing yeah, nothing. Good for him. Let's do a few more, Will. Here's one from Tree. He's written us before. Hey, Sops, just wanted to thank you for your series on Kurt Busick. Somehow, despite seeing his name all over the comic shop over the years, I was surprised to realize I'd never read a single comic of his. Oh, wow. Uh, Well, you got me hooked. I particularly love the stories of his that are more self-contained, such as Marvel's Secret Identity and especially Astro City. Holy crap. I love that so many of the Busick, Anderson, Ross characters feel like fully conceived heroes with influence from the classics rather than just pure pastiches like most of, say, the Black Hammer characters. And the tone of these Busick stories are really special. After so much Frank Miller, it's nice to have stories that feel poetic and hopeful, even if they're not always happy. I'd love to see you all cover more stories with this sort of tone and poetry to them. Thanks, and drive carefully. (laughs) (laughs) But Will flies everywhere, so that won't be a problem. I'm a jet setter. Uh, Thanks for that email, Tree. Yeah, glad to hear we got someone to get some Busick, and I I, I feel like we helped that person. I'm going to reach out to Busick and ask for a cut. Smart. Uh, This is an email from Alan Dibner. His subject is Wolverine. Uh Uh-oh. All right, well, hi, Milksops. Thanks for continuing to make such a fun show week after week. I'll admit that when Kevin had so much distaste for the X-Men's brood saga storyline, I got so upset, I almost wanted to say to him, ah, your cousin likes Lawrence Welk. (laughs) But then I remembered art is subjective, and it's okay if someone disagrees with you. Plus, I'd be insulting Will's cousin, too, and that didn't seem very fair. (laughs) So as I'm over that now, I guess I wanted to share a theory I have on why Will keeps calling so many characters who aren't Wolverine, Wolverine. On a recent episode, Will called himself dumb for doing so and said he had no excuse. 
but I think he was just being humble. See, after just a few hours of thinking about it, just a few hours. (laughs) (laughs) Picturing so many papers spread out on the table, you know, like. (laughs) Yeah, it's that that always sunny uh, meme of like. uh, Pointing at the board, yeah. Uh, uh, So after a few hours of thinking about it, it dawned on me that Will was ingeniously satirizing how the character of Wolverine was so overexposed in the period of comics the show's been covering. In those days, Wolverine was making cameo appearances almost every Marvel comic to help boost sales. So what better way to gently poke fun at this cheap marketing gimmick than to call so many different characters Wolverine? He's everywhere, folks. You can't get away from him. Just like in those 80s and 90s comics. Well done, Will. Well done. Uh, And then Will is so kind that he didn't want to make listeners feel bad for not picking up on a subtle satire. So instead of explaining what he was up to, he made it look like he was just having an odd brain fart or something and even called himself dumb on air. Well, I hope you don't mind my knowing the truth, Will. And I hope Kevin reads this letter on the podcast so all listeners can know what you've been up to and how you are even willing to sacrifice your own public reputation just to keep us listeners from feeling bad. You, sir, are a true milksop. (laughs) That's a no prize. That's a no prize for sure. Yeah. He then asks, which of us is uh, Scott Summers and which of us is Alex Summers? I'm Alex Summers. Why do you think that? Yeah, you're the leader of the X-Men. I'm the guy who shows up every now and then. You read and, uh, all the comics. If, if we were in a super team, I would never take the lead. I'd be like, what's happening? Alan throws me under the bus here and then defends you for three paragraphs. <laughs> you're the hero. I think I think, I think. think Havoc is uh, uh, just as powerful as Cyclops. That might be. But, uh, uh, but is forgotten about and pushed to the side frequently. And that's who you want to be? That's who I am. I didn't say I want to be. <laughs> I'm not right. calling dibs on Havoc. <laughs> All right, well, get out of the X-Men. Does that happen? Does Cyclops kick him out? See, this is what I've been constantly be asking you. I like, think I get kicked out. Magneto would show up and I'd be like, is he bad? I think Havoc is on the team and then just sort of like he leaves and nobody notices. I see. And when Scott's not around, they're like, Scott's the leader, right? I'm like, No, Storm's the leader. And Cyclops. <laughs> uh, I heard him on Comedy Bang Bang. That Scott Summers is pretty funny. <laughs> uh, we have an email from frequent writer, Noel Tate, Burn She-Hulk is the subject. Can't wait for you guys to do a crash course on She-Hulk. I'm reading this so late. We've done that long <laughs> ago now. Uh, mostly interested in Will's take on issue five of Burn's Run with a triumphant return of, oh, Noel Tate, uh, of uh, the um, Howard the Duck podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, so not just a frequent writer, but also someone who had us on their podcast. Yeah. Uh, mostly interested in Will's take on issue five of Burns Run with the triumphant return of Lester Verde, a.k.a. Dr. Bong. Yes. Since I believe Will recently read about him in the pages of Steve Gerber and Gene Collins' Wolverine. I mean, Howard the Duck. <laughs> uh, we did talk about this in our She-Hulk crash course very quickly. We said that She-Hulk was expecting Dr. Doom and she got Dr. Bong, and that was pretty funny. We mentioned the Howard the Duck podcast at that. So Here's, a, uh, here's an email from Mark D., subject mm-hmm. Electra Assassin. Guys, I'll get right into it. I think you should devote an episode to Electra Assassin by Frank Miller and Bill Sinkiewicz because I feel this book is not talked about enough. I'm not saying it should get an episode because it's the best thing ever, only that it would get more attention from milksops everywhere. It's a visual spectacle and a wild ride and an artifact from a time when creators were experimenting like mad scientists. Hope you'll consider my idea. Uh, I love Electra Assassin. I think we it's won't a, consider it. We, we won't consider it. We won't consider it. But I, but I do <laughs> love Electra Assassin, and I think it's great. Uh, I think we um, should cover it. I think we've just covered so much Miller lately. We'll I know. I feel the same. Bit. We got to kind of move on, but maybe we'll come back to it. And, cer- and certainly I'll just say here, Electra Assassin is, I, I haven't read it 
in the last five years. So maybe I should read it again to make sure that there's not just like <laughs> some like hugely disturbing sequence that I'm forgetting about. But I remember the art was really striking and beautiful. And I remember most of it, Electra's in blackface for most of it. That's what I remember. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of like pro-slavery talk that has never, yeah. never gone back on. And there's a giant penis that's like sort of the villain of the story. But then ends up being good <laughs> and misunderstood and sort of like, hey, this guy knew what was going on. We got an email from Keith Wallace asking us to cover the Sandman TV show. No, we won't do that. No, we won't do that. Certainly not last episode. Let's do a couple more and then we'll call it well. What do you think? I approve. Uh, here's one from Tristan, uh, who might be a first time writer. Let's see. Hi, Milksops. Are there any writers who you love their non-superhero work, but not their superhero work or vice versa? For example, I love almost all of Ed Brubaker's non-hero stuff like Criminal, Fatal, etc. But I couldn't really get into his Daredevil or Captain America. Another example is Jason Aaron. A Scalped is my favorite comic book series of all time. But I tried to read a book he wrote where Wolverine goes to hell, and I was flabbergasted at how bad it was. Although I must admit, this opinion has changed a bit since I read his now universally acclaimed Thor series. Love the pod. Thanks, Tristan. I haven't read enough to have examples of this. I mean, I love the Los Bros Hernandez, Jaime and Gilbert, and Jaime has been doing superhero stuff recently. And I actually don't like it as much as when he does non-superhero stuff, but that's not quite what, what's being said here. Yeah, I'm similar with Paul Grist. He's done some Marvel stuff that I have not enjoyed and I love everything Paul Grist has done. He did a Daily Bugle series that was great, but that was decidedly no superheroes in it. Um, uh, Matt, Matt Kent? Is he somebody? Matt Kent, yeah. He's done some Marvel work that is bad, uh, <laughs> I think. Uh, and some DC. Did he do DC work too? I don't remember if he did DC work. But his I did not like his Marvel work at all. He's done Valiant work, which is superheroes, and I really dug that. I think he just didn't work in the Marvel limitations. Who else? I'll say this. I like Jason Aaron's superhero stuff. His Thor run, as you said, is great. But I also liked Jason Aaron did um, a Ghost Rider run, I think is really good. I don't really mm -hmm. like his current Justice League run, but Jason Aaron's pretty good. I also loved Ed Brubaker's Captain America, but not as much as I love his crime stuff. So there's certainly, you know, there's certainly, I, I see the, the point somewhat, but I, I like Brubaker and Jason Aaron's Marvel work. So those guys don't fit the category for me, for sure. I feel like there was one more on the tip of my tongue that maybe I've lost and I can't think of it. So uh, never. Oh, Mike Carey. That was the one I was going to say. I really loved Mike Carey's Vertigo work. And then he did like a run at Ultimate FF that I found fine. He did a run at X-Men comics that I thought was good, but not great. And I love his comics. But when he was just doing superhero works, just like that's not what I love from him. Yeah. It is a different thing to get into a title that's been around for hundreds of issues and try to reinvigorate it. That is a that is a skill a little bit adjacent to simple good storytelling. Let's oh I'm gonna jump way ahead to uh, one one that we just got a couple days ago, Will. Okay. And we'll end on this one. Okay. From Kevin Feige, mad at our crash courses. Yeah, he's like, now I get She-Hulk. I wish you guys had did this early <laughs> enough so I could have used it when making the She-Hulk TV show. <laughs> Why don't you answer my texts? <laughs> oh, gosh. Here he goes again. Oh, boy. Um, now, this is from Jonathan Powell. Hi, Heinzes. I've been really enjoying your podcast. They make me want to read comics I haven't read and reread the ones I have. I was wondering about your experiences with UK and European published comics. After listening to your Sandman TV show episode and Neil Gaiman having written for 2000 AD, I was wondering what your experience with non-Wolverine related comics is. <laughs> Such as 2000 AD stories like Finn, Rough Trooper, 
Strontium, Strontium Dogs, Nikolai Dante, Nemesis, and of course, Judge Dredd. Uh, I would like to recommend Pat Mills' book about his comic book industry experience. One of the big facts I learned is that until 2008D came along in the 70s, they did not credit the artist or writer's names in comic books in the UK, mm-hmm. which I found pretty shocking even for back then. Also, his runs for Judge Dredd stories. Dredd is always the hero. Also, his rules for Judge Dredd stories. Dredd is always a hero. Dredd is always the villain. That's fun. <laughs> uh, Pat Mills also did a great weekly war comic called Charlie's War and a crazy European published comic called Rick Requiem Vampire Night. I live in Australia and had different comics exposure growing up. So with the exception of TMNT comics, I didn't read a lot of American comics until later in life. I always thought British writers had such a different perspective in 2008 DR. It was always on another level. If you haven't read any 2008 D, I would recommend Cursed Earth and Apocalypse War for an introduction. My personal favorite is Judgment Day. Dead Man is a great story, too. Any any thoughts, comments? Any, the only British stuff I've books? really read is Alan Moore stuff and a little of the Alan Davis, Captain Britain stuff. I haven't gone too deep into British stuff. Otherwise, I haven't really read any 2008. I don't think. Yeah, I read. So it's Alan Moore stuff for me. I read like, you know, Miracle Man and V for Vendetta and uh, some other stuff he did back then. Little Neil Gaiman stuff that he did. But that, that's it. So I've never read 2008. I've heard of it mentioned, you know, sort of in like mm-hmm. with a lot of praise and respect, but I've never really gone into it. So. I don't know. Yeah, I've not read much Judge Red. I've read I've read a tiny bit, uh, um, but I can't recall much of it. Like, I mean, like we're talking like forty pages of Judge Red, not okay. nothing extreme. I've read uh, Mike Carey did some two uh, some British comics. I don't know if they're two thousand AD or not that I've read that were pretty good, though I don't think as good as his American work. But I think he was a newer writer then. Uh, as Will said, I've read Alan Moore stuff and like obviously. Miracle Man slash uh, Marvel Man that was originally a British comic. Yeah. But recently I read a comic called Brink that I think was a 2008 D comic written by Dan Abnett. And uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I think his last name is Culbert because I really like Dan Abnett and Culbert did a sort of a uh, War of the Worlds slash Wind in the Willows combo story for an American comic that I really liked. So when I saw that they did this 2008 D thing that had been collected. I was like, I'm going to try it. And I sort of bought it on a lark and I loved it. It's called Brink. Uh, I've read the first three volumes I've ordered. Uh, uh, there's a fourth and fifth volume coming out, I think, which I have not read yet. I don't know how to explain it. It's like a weird science fiction world um, where people like live on these asteroids and uh, it's basically about the cops on those asteroids. But there's like this over arc about like some sort of weird cult that's sort of slowly taking over all these asteroids. And uh, I know that that probably doesn't sell anybody on it, but I think it is really, really fun and really great. Mm. I'd love to know uh, uh, what John uh, was it, Jonathan? Yes, uh, John, I'd love to know if you've read Brink and what you think about it. But I'll also make note of these ones he's recommended. I, I I feel like I'm behind on so much reading, but I should read more British comics because like Warren Ellis came from there, Neil Gaiman came from there, Garth Ennis came from there, uh, Grant Morrison came from there. Yeah. It's like, and those guys all like showed up in American comics and like, really, really you know, like and just uh, and like were like the best writers. It's yeah. Like, yeah. And I haven't read enough of where they came from and became good enough that you know Marvel and DC wanted them. Yeah. So. Mark Millar, I think, also wrote some British comics before. Those are all British and Irish uh, folks. Uh, but yeah, I mostly wanted to read that one because it highlights that Will and I are dumb and have not read that much. 
Yeah, we are done. Or is that a commentary on how Wolverine is too prevalent? <laughs> you be the judge. Uh, I think that's it for today. We'll read more emails next episode because we're going to do another Mutants and Mailbags next week. Yeah, we're going to do issues the next three, right? So 192, yeah. 193, 194. Yeah, and that's what's coming up. Uh, and then I don't know what we're doing after that still. We still don't know. Okay. Uh, maybe we'll do more X-Men or maybe we'll actually figure something out. Yeah, I feel like we're getting so close to 200. Maybe it's worth just doing a push to get to 200. Yeah. Which might be a good ending place since now we are overlapping with comics you bought. Which sort of accomplished our goal. I of... mean, doing doing 110 issues of a comic is pretty good sampling. Out of it. Sure. Chris <laughs> it's Gethard not as much say, as Gethard Chris Gethard would say, not enough Captain America. <laughs> Uh, all right. So, uh, Kevin, I'll see you next episode. Yeah, well, and I don't want to see you otherwise. Okay. Noted. All right. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. comics.